that today God pours life, love, and peace into you and your family. You become once or a thousand times you are faithful. Whether in person or online, thank you for joining us in worship at Promise of Victory, Church of God. Amen. Let's connect the dots. Hallelujah. Uh, by the way, I know I already mentioned it, but uh, go ahead and mark your calendar and plan on being here. Uh, those of you that wants to come out and have some fellowship tonight uh, to the Cornhole Tournament, but do not forget, I know it's not normal for us to have Saturday night church, but you don't want to miss Joel Talley. Uh, he, he's, uh, he's a handful, and we, we bringing him all the way from Atlanta because he was one of the preachers that spoke over our house while we were still at the other location. He was one of the prophetic words that was given to us in season that was inspiring us to make the move to come to this new location. So, so don't, don't forget, I know it's unusual, we're not used to that, so you may want to make a mental note, write it on your calendar, uh, write it on your hand, put it on your mirror when you brush your teeth in the morning, but uh, 6.30 on Saturday, you don't want to miss it, we're going to have some church in here. So praise the Lord this morning for the Word of God, amen? So this morning we're going to be wrapping up our series, as you already see on the wall, and we have called this series Connect the Dots. This has been an eight-week sermon series where we have covered this book from the front to after this morning, the back cover. Obviously, we have not did it in great detail because what I intended to do with this series was to teach you how you could explain this story, this entire book, to someone who's never read it in less than five minutes. If you had to sit down with an unbeliever or someone that's just never been exposed to what this book is about, how could you explain it enough for them to understand it within five minutes' time? That's what I've attempted to do, so let's recap what got us to this point this morning. Week one, we learned about Adam and Eve and creation and sin. We talked about how God creates life, but sin brings death. Mm -hmm. Week two, Pastor Ryan presented to us the truth that God made a promise to man that even though we messed up his plan, he had a plan to fix our sin problem. The following week, we saw how that promise started to come true. Abraham's promise had already started because his seed was multiplied to a great number of people. And God brought them out of slavery and set them on a journey toward the promised land. The next week we saw that when we get what we want from God, sometimes it's hard for us to stay faithful to God. That once they got into the promised land and started receiving the best God had for them, that they started backsliding. And that led to God sending out the prophets to tell Israel what was going to happen if they didn't keep keeping on with him. The, in week five, Pastor Lejean showed us what happens when God warns us, but we don't listen. That he lets us go into captivity. That the enemy overcomes us in areas of our lives because we don't listen to his warnings. Then, the last two weeks, we got into the New Testament. And I told you that everything changed with that baby named Jesus. 
And because that baby was born and he lived a sinless life and he died and rose again after three days, we learned that we now have the power inside of us to overcome sin, death, and the grave. That no matter what it is that the enemy brings against us, God has provided for us the answer to all of sin's problems. Amen? So one thing about our church, and this isn't true in a lot of churches that you would go to, one thing about our church has always been we have a very diverse groups when it comes to religious backgrounds. We've always had this. We have people that grew up Catholic in here. Others grew up Baptist, and some of you were Lutherans. Some of you, like me, came up Pentecostal. And a lot of you had no religious upbringing at all. So most of you that I'm going to talk to this morning have never studied the last book of the Bible. This book being called Revelation, of course. Now, all of you have heard about Revelation, but some of you have heard erroneously. Some of you have heard what people think about Revelation, And I'm going to tell you up front that I won't even begin to scratch the surface of this book this morning. I will not be doing a deep dive into the book of Revelation this morning. Because I personally, for myself, when I started ministry, spent three years studying the 22 chapters of Revelation. Every day that I drew air, I think... If there was a few days that I missed, it was because I was sick or out of town or something. But I spent about three years of my personal study time studying this book. And one time, at the old location, I spent an entire year teaching through the book of Revelation. If you were with us back then, you'll remember parts of that. Part of this book is hard to understand. And if you've never heard it broke down by someone who, who tried to teach it to you at your level or studied it yourself... It can seem a little strange. There's a lot of symbols and images in this book. Some of it can be, well, let's just be honest, it can be weird. Some of it can be downright scary. There's a seven-headed dragon in there. There's serpents and beasts and locusts with stingers on their tails. There's dead people coming to life. There's dark suns and red oceans. and There's a lot of weird things happening in this book and it's unlike any other book of the Bible and what I like to caution people about is just because you can't understand all of it then you shouldn't cause that to make you lose track that there's part of it you need to know there's there's parts of the book of Revelation that you can't know in its entirety and I'll get to that in a moment We're never going to understand parts of it until we get to heaven and ask Jesus himself. What do you mean about this? Because John, when he wrote this book, was limited as to his knowledge of what he was seeing. So he did the best he could to describe what he was seeing. You and I are growing up uh, 2,000 years later, and and we, we have a different mindset of what he probably saw. But we don't know for sure. But don't let what you don't know cause you to miss what you do know or what you need to know. Let's look about, let's look, before we get into the actual scriptures, let's define what revelation means. Webster's defines it as an act of making something known. An act of revealing something in usually a surprising way. That's what revelation means. Now, revelation was written about 60 years after Jesus died resurrected and went back to heaven. 
It was written by a man that you've heard of. His name was John. John also wrote the Gospel of John. He also wrote three little books at the end of your Bible called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He was called John the Beloved. And he wrote this book on an island called Patmos. And it's entire, the entirety of this book is about visions that Jesus was giving to John to write down. Revelation chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, says this. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. Stop right there. Did you hear what he said? These are events that must soon take place. We've been waiting 2,000 years. And soon to God must not be soon to me. If you tell your kids, pick them toys up, do you want to wait 2,000 years? When you say, do it soon, you're not expecting to have to wait 2,000 years. So God's time and our time, let's get that out of the way to, be, to begin with. God's time and our time is two different things. So these are things that are soon to take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So John gets the revelation from Jesus and writes down everything he sees. Now the first few chapters of the book of Revelation is John's letters to seven churches. Those seven churches were real churches. And they're the messages that John was sending to those churches and they're messages that you and I still need today. Okay? He, he was, they were literal letters for instruction. And after that, after the first three chapters of this book, Things get a little more complicated. Things get a little more symbolic. Scholars have been arguing for 2,000 years about what everything in this book means. And we still don't know. So I'm going to do my best this morning to interpret what I think is necessary for the day that we're living in and give you information that you will benefit from. Can somebody say amen? So the first week of this series, I taught you that sin doesn't keep its word. I taught you that, prom that sin always promises to make things better, but it always makes things worse. But thank God for Jesus. Because when Jesus came, he made worse things better. But the, I've got even better news than that this week. Jesus promises something better than better. Because in the 22nd chapter of Revelation, Jesus promises to make things perfect. What's better than better? Perfect. And in, the, in Revelation chapter 22, beginning with verse 3, no longer will there be a curse on anything. For the throne of God and the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. What's better than good? Perfect. And He's going to bring perfect into existence. So, we've looked at the beginning of the book, and now we've looked at the end of the book. 
Now I want to teach you some things that are in between the beginning and the end. And in order to do that, we're going to be using a whole lot of Scripture that isn't in Revelation. Okay? Because the last 20 months has been chaos. Ever since March of 2020, when the world stopped due to this pandemic, there seems to have been people losing their ever-loving minds day by day. And every time something like this happens, whether it was the millennium, uh, you, do you remember when we were changing from 1999 to 2000? And how everybody lost their minds back then? Do you remember 9-11? How everybody lost their minds back then? Every time something happens that is a traumatic event, war breaks out, a plague shows up, uh, when, when wars start happening in other nations, a natural disaster wipes out a bunch of people, all of a sudden people start thinking about their own mortality. And inevitably... Somebody will get a microphone, or in these day and age, they'll get a TikTok, and they'll start prophesying the end of the world. And they're looking for something called Armageddon, which means the end. So I'm going to show you something in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, before I get started, because it's pertinent for the day that we're living in. Matthew 24, beginning with verse 1, as Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth. They will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus said on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately and said, listen to this, tell us, when will all of this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus told them, and pastor's telling you, don't let anyone mislead you. I'm going to say it again for emphasis. Don't let anyone mislead you. When will the end of the world be? Don't let any TikToker, any Facebook prophet... Anybody that's got a microphone and an audience, I don't care if their name is Reverend, Pastor, Bishop, Almighty. Uh, I, I don't care if they are missionary such and such. Don't let anyone mislead you. So many of us want to grab a hold of things that sound good to us, but they're not biblically accurate. Don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, those things. I'm going to say this many times this morning. These things must take place. I'm not trying to elevate myself. I'm just trying to give you some rational thought pattern this morning. Can, are you okay with me doing that? The pandemic hit and people lost their minds. The election came and people lost their minds. And the riots broke out and people lost their minds. And we were fighting with each other and discouraging each other and casting cutting remarks at each other. But if I read... These things... Not might. Not, not could. These things must come to pass. We don't like that. That's why we fight against it. You don't like gas prices going up. I don't either. 
You don't like the world's systems. I don't either. You don't like having to submit to this, that, or the other. I don't either. And you can try to fight Washington, and you can try to fight Charleston or Columbus, but I promise you, you won't win fighting against the Word of God. And these things must come to pass. The problem we have in society today and in the national realm is we think Jesus is wearing a red, white, and blue tunic, was born an American, died an American, and signed the Constitution. Oh, it's quiet in this mortuary. I, I was already prepared for you to be sideways with me. We, we assume God is a national God, an American God. God hadn't even created America when he wrote these words, but he knew America would come and America would fall before these words came to pass. I, I'm not prophesying doom. I'm just telling you these things must happen. So as we work out these last days, we're going to have to understand we can fight governments, but we can't fight heaven. These things must happen. They must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. It's not going to happen all at one time. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. But wait, there's more. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate Oh, you're this, you believe this about the vaccine, and I believe this, I hate you. Oh, you voted for that person, I hate you. Anybody recognize in 2020 and 2021 up here? And many will hate, they will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, will be saved. And I don't even have time to touch on this. Maybe at some point I will be able to do a sermon on verse 14 and the good news about the kingdom. I'm going to say this about 14 times. And the good news about the kingdom. And the good news about the kingdom. And the kingdom has a capital K. It doesn't say the good news about the United States. It don't say the good news about democratic nations. It don't say the good news about the places that aren't communists. The good news about the kingdom. And too many folks living inside the kingdom have got their eyes on a national uh, republic and they, have real, they don't realize that there's only one king. He's not running for election and he's never going to give up his authority. He is the great God Jehovah and he doesn't care about the systems of this world we care too much about them he cares not about them not at all because the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the world all nations will hear and then and then once everybody has heard then will be the end now I know that was a long passage of scripture but the disciples have come to Jesus and asked the question that a lot of you are asking when's the end coming you know it's always easier to work on something when you know there's an end. We remodeled our house, and we had an open-ended uh, development happening. We didn't know how long it was going to take. It ended up taking about 10 months. Felt like 14 years. 
Had we, not, had we been able to discern that it was going to take that long and knew when it was going to end, it would have been easier to deal with. But when you, don't, when you know the end is coming, but you have no idea when the end is going to get there, it makes the journey a long one. So we know the end is coming. Somebody say amen. So Jesus gives them a warning, and it's the same warning I have been giving you for 18 months. Don't let anyone mislead you. Because it seems like today everybody is an expert on everything. I have never in my life seen what the internet has turned everybody as a Google PhD holder. I mean stuff that they ain't got no business putting their nose in. How's the nation's cash flow any of my business or yours? You can't even keep your own checkbook balance. And you think you know how many trillions of dollars they're supposed to spend in this department or that department? Come on now. World hunger has been a problem since the time of the world's creation. We don't have the answers or everybody would be well. How about biochemical? How many biochemical physicists do we have in here? Oh, don't hide now. I see your Facebook post. I know you all think you're experts on virology and how biochemistry works. Yeah, come where you at. I, I don't see you out here. Because I see your Facebook post and you, you think you know everything about vaccines and viruses. We don't know. Do your neighbor a favor and look at him and say, I, don't, I just don't know. Can you just say, I, I, just, I just don't know. I just don't know. See how, see how freeing that is? I just don't know. You, you ever been around a little kid that asks you a million questions a day? And pretty soon you stop making up stuff? And you just say, I don't know. I just, I just don't know. Why is the grass green? I, I just I don't know. I, just, I don't have the answers that you're seeking this morning. So I'm going to use this format for my message. We're going to look at when is the end coming? That's the question. Is this the end? Well, obviously it wasn't the, the beginning of COVID because that's over now. How can we be so sure when the end will be here? There are things that we absolutely, absolutely can know is true and there's things that we can't know and things that we won't know. So don't let anybody mislead you. So the disciples wanted to know what it was going to look like when the end of the world was here. Mm -hmm. Let me begin by saying I'm going to operate from a position that you may or may not agree with. Because I'm going to go through this quickly. But you and I need to be on level ground before I start, okay? I'm going to assume that you believe two things to be true. One, you believe Jesus is coming back. Number two, you believe that this world, as you know it, has an expiration date. If you and I don't see eye to eye on those two things, that's okay. You have the right to be wrong. But I don't have time to argue with you. So you probably won't get a whole lot out of this message because my sermon is built on the premise that Jesus is coming back and that when he comes back, this earth is short to be here. Okay? So if that's not what you believe, I don't have time to debate with you, but you probably won't get a lot out of this message. So let's talk about the timeline of prophetic events. As I read Scripture, there is nothing, say nothing, there is nothing left that needs to happen for this timeline to start wrapping up. When Jesus comes back, 
is the very next thing that we're waiting on. It's called the rapture of the church, which, by the way, could happen any minute now. Before I finish this message, that trumpet could sound, and we could be caught up in the air to meet our Lord and Savior. It could happen at any time. When you read the book of Revelation, chapter 3 closes, and at the beginning of chapter 4, the church is gone. The rapture has taken place, and we have been caught up in the air to meet Jesus. At the rapture of the church, seven years of different realities is about to begin. Why do you say different realities? Because there is something going on in heaven called the marriage supper of the Lamb, but there's something at the same seven-year period happening on earth called the Great Tribulation. These are two totally different realities. In heaven, we are having exactly what it sounds like, a wedding. What is a wedding? It's a time of celebration. There's healing going on. Communion with God. We're going to be introduced to things like the throne room. Our lost loved ones that have already made it to heaven in front of us. There's going to be constant worship. There's going to be these trees where healing fruit grows. And there's a river of God flowing from underneath the throne room. And we have access to this healing fruit and this river. And you never have to worry about coming to church to find God because the presence of God is everywhere. And the light of the Lamb lights up the entire place. So that's what's going on in heaven for seven years. For everybody who goes caught up in the rapture and everybody who died before the rapture but knew Christ. On earth, they're having a totally different experience. There's something happening called the Great Tribulation. In a moment, I'll begin to break that seven years down, but it's full of death, sorrow, terror, and unmitigated violence. The world will be introduced to the Antichrist to something called the mark of the beast, starvation and famine. There's going to be, instead of a river of life, there's going to be rivers of blood. And instead of healing from the healing tree, their bodies are going to be attacked like never before. So let's begin by saying that there are two things, say two things. There are two things about the end that we can know. There's about eight things that we can't know. I'm going to start with the two that we, I'm sorry. There are two things that we don't know, can't know, will never know. There's about eight things that we do know for certain. Let's talk first about the two things that we don't know. One, we don't know when it's going to happen. I know some of you have saw the videos. Since I've been in church, there have been numbskulls. I mean, there have been preachers who have been came out with books and sit back. I go way back. Cassette series, VHS series. Then it was CDs and DVDs, and now it's streaming, and nothing has ever changed. There's always people that we call date setters, and they're always working in the prophetic. And they're always trying to show you this timeline matches up with that timeline and God's Word says this, so it must mean this. And they're always trying to set a date. Not only is it dangerous because people believe that foolishness, but it's anti-Scripture. 
let me show you what I mean. In Luke's gospel, when the disciples asked Jesus, when will the end come? Jesus said, let no one mislead you. Many will come saying the end is here. Matthew 24 and 36 says, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son himself, only the Father knows. So unless these pundits of prosperity and professionalism have got a main line with the fall, you need to change the channel when they start telling you that they know when the rapture's about to happen. Don't buy the book. Bring that money to God's house and sow into good soil because you know that they can't know. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse, five uh, uh, verse 1. Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write to you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them. And suddenly, as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. Matthew 24, verse 42. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready at all times, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. So understand we can't. Number one, we can't know. Number two, and this is a big one that gets my gall. We do not, say we do not, we don't know who the Antichrist is. Stop following these hucksters and shucksters that tell you so and so is the Antichrist. I'm about to show you why we don't know. Because during the Great Tribulation, the world leader will arise and he will be known as the Antichrist. That's what the Bible calls him. And since I started going to church, there's been at least a dozen people that preachers and prophets have said was the Antichrist. Obama was the Antichrist. Trump was the Antichrist. Fauci is the Antichrist. Let me explain something to you. Because you don't like somebody, don't make them the Antichrist. I hear the same junk over and over again, and then I watch Christian people share it on Facebook. And I don't have time to dive into all the reasons why this is an exercise in futility. But I just want you to understand very simply, we are not living in the Great Tribulation right now. So the Antichrist has not been revealed yet. Because that's what happens then. If you are around when the Antichrist is revealed, something went horribly wrong in your life. You missed the greatest experience in human existence, which is the rapture of the church. So don't let, did you hear what Jesus said? Don't let anyone mislead you. Okay, so not everything is a mystery. Those two things we cannot know until after the rapture. But not everything is a mystery. There are some things that the Bible makes clear. I'm going to give you eight of them this morning. What we do know. So those are the two things we don't know. I'm going to give you the, two, the eight things we do know. Number one, we know it's going to happen fast. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, it will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye. When the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. So that's the first thing. The second thing we know is there will be signs. 
God's not just going to let this happen. He's going to announce that it's about to happen. We read it in Matthew 24, 6, 7, and 8. You will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must, say must, must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is just the first. In other words, these are signs. This is what is setting up. I don't have time to get into this. This is what is setting the stage for the great performance. All of these things that are happening are just putting the pieces in place. Because 10 years ago, the world was a different place. If you was alive during the time of World War II, the world was a different place. If you lived through that industrial age after World War II when there was jobs everywhere, good jobs, good paying jobs, the world was a different place. When I grew up 30-some years ago, we slept with the doors unlocked. The world was a different place. Why has the world changed so much? Because the pieces are being set in place. It's a giant chessboard where things have to happen in a certain order. And all the places, all the things are signs. So you and I will know this is about to wrap up. We don't have to worry about 30 years from now if the rapture happens three minutes from now. These are the beginning of the birth pains. So what, what are the signs? Well, I've got 20 of them, and I'm just going to go through them very quickly. Number one, 2 Peter chapter 2 says there's false biblical teachers. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that sexual perversion will increase. Matthew 24 and 7, natural disasters will increase. 2 Timothy 3, stress would increase. Matthew 24, many wars and rumors. Matthew 24 and 12, people would forsake the Ten Commandments and any moral code. Number seven, 2 Timothy chapter 3, there would be a cold religious system denying God's power. Mm -hmm. Number eight, 2 Timothy chapter 4, men would sub substitute fantasy in place of Christian faith. I don't even have time to get into that. Uh, Matthew 24 and 7, deadly diseases would be prevalent. Did you ever think, go back to February of 2020, would you have ever imagined, would you ever have imagined a world where kids didn't go to school and everybody wore a mask? Could you ever, could that even cross your mind? And it happened. Look how quick it Look how fast the world can change. Don't think that these signs aren't pointing somewhere. Because we think that's impossible. I remember when I first got into church, which was before the internet. That's why I don't have anything right here. Before the internet, I, I can remember reading Revelation about the two prophets who got killed and raised back to life. And the whole world watched. And as a child, we used to ask, how is that possible? Because everything back then was pre-recorded. Very little live coverage, and if it was live coverage, it was local. Because CNN wasn't even a thing yet. Now, today, I can go live from this stage. 
and broadcast a signal all the way around the world. I don't have any kind of radio station. I don't have a degree in communications. All I have to have is a cell phone and a, and a, a plan and, and a Facebook page, and I can broadcast all the way around the world. Do you see how all the pieces are being put into place in God's timing? There are signs. Uh, deadly diseases. The institution of marriage would be forsaken. There would be an increase in famines. Daniel chapter 12 says knowledge is going to increase. Matthew 24 says there's going to be an increase in religious cults and false teaching. Luke 21 says the future will seem fearful and people will die from fear. Heart attacks, anxiety, angina, things kill people because they're dying from fear. 2 Timothy chapter 3, humanity would become materialistic. Hello. Matthew 24 and 14, the Christian gospel would be preached to the whole world. Jesus said Christians would be hated. Uh, there would be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. Youth will become rebellious. I'll say that one twice. Youth will become rebellious. According to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. And last but not least, men will mock the warning signs that the end is close. All these are signs. We can know the signs. Number three, here's what we know. This earth's going to look real different after the rapture of the church. It's going to look very different. Why? Because there's going to be three judgments. They're called the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. Once the great tribulation starts, some serious business is about to happen. On this planet. Great wars are going to erupt. You think $3.50 a gallon for gas is bad? You haven't seen inflation if you missed the rapture. Because poverty and famine is going to break out around the world. The Bible says one-fourth of the world's population will die from war and hunger under the seal judgments. Christians will begin to be hunted down and killed. For their faith. Under the seal judgments, there's going to be a great earthquake where the sun turns black and the moon will turn red. Then the trumpet judgment sees hail and fire falling from heaven mixed with blood. A star named Wormwood is going to fall and poison one-third of the earth's fresh water. The moon, the sun, and the stars are going to turn dark. Demonic creatures are going to be turned loose on the planet to torture people. Can you imagine? The horror movies that people have been watching is going to come to real life. And one-third of the population that didn't already die is going to die during that, the trumpet judgments. Then, if that's not bad enough, the bowl judgments come. Sores break out all over people's bodies. Seas turn to blood. People are scorched with a great heat. They're in such pain, the Bible says they gnaw their own tongues out of their mouths because of the pain they're in. Cities, nations will fall. Islands and mountain ranges will completely disappear from the earthquakes. And huge hailstones will fall down out of heaven. Number four, we know that many are going to be left behind. They're going to see these things. What do you mean, Pastor? Luke chapter 17, verses 33 through 35. If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. If you're in love with the life you have right now, you're going to lose that life. 
But if you let your life go, you'll save it. That night, two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour together at the meal. One will be taken, the other left. Okay, pastor, that's very, dis- that's, that's very depressing. I'm glad I came to church this morning. So let me break that down for you. If we know, if we know already that many will be left behind, we need to know who's going to be gone and who's going to be left behind. So I've got four groups of people that's going to go. Number one, those who are ready. Number two, those that are looking for him, the Bible says. Number three, holy folks. <laughs> not the ones that act holy, not the ones that dress holy, not the one that put on like they're holy, but holy folks. And number four, those that keep his commandments. Those are the people that are going to go. The ones that are going to be left behind, very simply, world lovers. John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Don't love the world, nor the things of the world, because if you love the world, you are an enemy to God. So world lovers, listen, if you love the world, you love what the world has right now, you better, because this is it. This is as good as it gets for you. But if you're like me, and your eyes are on the eastern sky because there's got to be something better than this, then the world is just setting the stage for us for when we really go home. This world is not my home. I don't know. I, I got a house I live in, but this world ain't my home. This has been a trial run for a wedding that I'm going to be ushered into at some point where I'm going to meet my bridegroom and everything that's been broken is going to be made fixed and straightened out and the world as we know it is not worth missing what heaven has for us. So who's going to be left behind? World lovers? The lukewarm? I hate to tell you, but there's going to be folks that sit in church every Sunday but will miss the celebration. Because they came to church, but they do not know Him. Number three, those without wedding garments. That's according to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22. Now, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 18 and 19 says, If the righteous are barely saved. If those of us that are righteous, if we are barely saved, what about the godless sinners? They're not going to be saved. We know that many will be left behind. Listen, that doesn't make me feel good. I hope you're not looking at me saying you you seem way too happy about that. No, because you can fix that. There's an answer to that problem. If you think you're going to be left behind, you don't have to be. That's the good news of the gospel. And number five, things that we know, this right here is as easy as it gets. There will never be an easier time to serve the Lord than today. And if you don't believe me, during the tribulation, the Antichrist will force people to take something called the mark of the beast. Now understand, the mark of the beast means that you can never get to heaven. There's no entry. There's no going back from the mark of the beast. Well, then I just won't take it. Good. However, You won't be able to get a job. You won't be able to buy diapers for your children. You won't be able to go to the market to feed your kids. Because unless you have this mark, nobody will trade with you, and you will have absolutely no access to finances or to rent or to live. You can't get your water turned on. You can't get a place for water to be turned on at. The mark of the beast is officially 
your ability to live here on this earth. And once you take it, there's no hope for you. Which is something that drives me crazy about the internet experts. Do you love me? Because you're about to get mad at me, some of you. There are entirely too many posts on the internet about the deep state conspiracies. Listen to me. God loves you. He loves you. He sent his only begotten son to die for you. And if you think that God is going to sit by and let Fauci give you the mark of the beast, and you not know it, you don't know God. The mark of the beast is not something you're going to get accidentally because you took a shot. You can feel any way you want to about the vaccine, but please, please, for the love of all things holy, stop telling folks it's the mark of the beast. It is not. It has nothing to do with that. It is absolutely irreverent of the holiness and the love of God for you to assume that he would let somebody trick you into eternal damnation. The mark of the beast is something that you will willingly take. You will line up for it. Oh, I will never. Really? If anything we've learned about human nature the last two years, we've learned how quickly we will turn around and conform when things are taken away from us like the ability to buy and trade and work and sell. It's setting the stage. These things must See, 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 it will be a deliberate decision a person will make in order to survive a time of great tribulation. I had somebody many years ago who met me in an altar who was crying and says, I can't do this church thing right now. I've got a boyfriend and I've got all these things in my life and I can't do this church thing. And she looked at me in the eyes and said, if I miss the rapture, I just won't take the mark of the beast. And I looked back at her and I said, do you honestly believe that if you can't live for Jesus now that you'll be able to live for him then? It will never be easier than it is right now. The church is right here. You've got access to 24 hours of the best gospel preaching since the Apostle Paul lived. And you've got choirs, and you've got elevation worship, and you've got Apple iTunes, and you can worship anytime you want. You live in the freest nation that's ever existed on the face of the planet. If you can't make it now, honey, you will not survive the great tribulation. Don't fool yourself. Today, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. And if you're not mad at me now, number 6 is surely going to do it. One, thing, one other thing that we know is being a good person isn't good enough. There's four things you need to know about eternity. One, everybody's going to die. Zero percent get out alive. Number two, everybody's going to be resurrected. Number three, everybody gets judged. And number four, everybody's going to be divided into one of two camps. Not, not the, the famous and the unfamous. Not the ones with a lot of followers and the ones that don't have no followers. Not the ones that worked real hard and those that got welfare. Not Democrat and Republican. Saved. Or lost. Those are the only two distinctions heaven makes. I, I, wish, I wish somebody, I wish you would understand this. When you get to heaven, they will not ask to see your voter registration card. 
Because if you're a Democrat, we ain't letting you in. And you got to have a MAGA hat to get in. Not they don't care. We care too much. Heaven cares not at all. They divide you into two camps, saved and lost. And here's the problem that I'm seeing in the world today. They're not going to ask you which church you went to. What denomination you belong to. Were you baptized in water? Well, pastor, I believe that the Bible says we ought to be baptized. I do too. But if that was a requirement to get into heaven, somebody sure to pull that poor thief off the cross and dunked him because Jesus said, today you'll see me in paradise. People got upset and left the church the last time we had baptism because we baptized in three names. God have mercy on our souls if that's what we think gets us in or keeps us out of heaven. We're saved or we're lost. It's that simple. Not how many elevation worship songs do you have on your playlist. Do you donate blood to the Red Cross? Uh, did you help your elderly neighbor? Are you a good mommy or a good daddy? None of that matters because the Bible says all of my righteousness is filthy rags in the presence of a holy God. So all of that good stuff that you try to do, I'm glad you do it. But don't think for a moment it'll get you into heaven. You should be a good person, but you shouldn't use it as a ticket into the pearly gates. Number seven, the choices you make now are going to matter then. We know this. Why? Because the Bible says in Matthew 24, 13, the one who endures to the end shall be saved. It don't matter how you start. You need to finish this. It does, I'm all about counting how many people give their lives to the Lord and all that stuff and having these big crusades where a bunch of people come up. But I've seen a lot of people come up to the front and make a confession and then never show back up for church. It doesn't matter how you start this race. The Bible says you need to finish this race. You got to hold on. You got to hold on through a pandemic. You got to hold on through divorce. You got to uh, hold on through foreclosure and bankruptcy. It doesn't matter what comes your way. It doesn't matter how you got in. It matters how you come out. And you better still be holding on to the same hand that you was holding on to when you said yes number eight the one thing I know for sure which gives me great relief God is in control you know why that gives me great relief because all this stuff I just gave you I don't fear any of it oh it's quiet in here because I know in whom I have believed I trust the Lord and his word and 1 John 4 and 8 tells me that perfect love casts out all fear. At the beginning of the book of Revelation, in chapter 1, verse 17, John fell at the feet of Jesus like he was dead. And Jesus puts his hand on John and says, Fear not. I'm about to show you some terrible things, John. I'm about to show you some things that is going to be mind-blowing and people are going to die and seas are going to turn to blood and the sky's going to turn black and the sun's going to go pitch dark. But don't fear. See, none of this should bother a child of God. Nothing that the world's going through right now should bother a child of God because we ought to know He set all of this up. So listen to me. And I'm just going to preach to you and try to help you. America has been humbled in the last decade. And all these changes are happening to the world economy. 
and to your pocketbook. And all these changes are happening with pandemic and vaccines. When you start seeing things happen and you start hearing things like one world money system, when you start hearing things like one world government, you got to know this is supposed to happen. This thing's about to wrap up. These are the signs. Before 2020, there were things in this book that was hard for me to comprehend. Before the pandemic started, it was hard for me to understand how the Antichrist could rule the whole earth. When I was a little kid, some of you are older than me, some of you are my age, some of you are younger than me, but when I was a little kid, the biggest enemy America had was Russia. Now, if you're a generation ahead of me, you remember things like the Cuban Missile Crisis. You remember things like having atomic bomb drills while you was in school and you would get underneath your desks and hide your head. My generation, we, we talked about nuclear fallout because Russia was the big enemy, the boogeyman in the closet. We were constantly worried about war with Russia. But nobody wanted to mess with America because we had the greatest army. We had the greatest military. We had the most money, and we were bad all by ourselves. Nobody really wanted to mess with us. There was a few skirmishes. There were some people that picked fights. They soon found out. You don't start nothing, it won't be nothing. America has been humbled. It was hard for me to understand how an how a antichrist could make America bow down. How could one man rule the whole world? How could the Antichrist make everybody comply? Line up and take a mark. Boy, has my mind changed since I saw everything that happened in the last two years. It's quick for people to comply when the right person is in control. I always thought surely American people won't be so easy to control. I used to think, surely one person can't do something in the Middle East that will affect the whole world. But one disease crippled the entire world economy. And these things must happen. Everything is pointing us to an end. But none of this caught God by surprise. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Can I tell you, there's two ways you're going to leave this planet, dead or alive. And either way I leave, I have this confidence. Philippians 1 and 6, For I am certain that God, who began a good work within you, will continue His work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So I'm going to end this morning's message with a picture. If anybody don't know what this is, th this is the best Pop-Tart. It's not just a Pop-Tart. It's the best Pop-Tart. It might be said by me, it's the only Pop-Tart worth eating. This is a strawberry Pop-Tart. 
strawberry Pop-Tarts. I don't eat them anymore. I, I, gotta, I had to cut Pop-Tarts out. I ate, I ate too many chocolate chip cookies out here at this church last night. Uh, I can't have strawberry Pop-Tarts anymore, but they're the only Pop-Tarts worth eating. The rest of them taste like cardboard. I would probably rather eat the wrapper that the blueberry Pop-Tart came in than eat the blueberry Pop-Tart. Right now, there is a lawsuit for $5 million. A woman is suing Kellogg's because she said there's not enough strawberry in strawberry Pop-Tarts. $5 million lawsuit because the primary ingredients to strawberry Pop-Tarts is apple and pear. And for some reason, this woman got so dismayed over apples and pears being in strawberry Pop-Tarts, she decided to file a multi-million dollar lawsuit against poor old Kellogg's. And it got me to thinking, I saw that on the news this week, and it got me to thinking as I was preparing this sermon. While the courts figure out how much strawberry is enough for a Pop-Tart to be called strawberry, I wonder if there's enough Christ in me For me to legally call myself a Christian. Because this thing is about to end. And I'm not going to have a second chance to get it right. So I wonder. If it takes a certain amount of strawberry to be called strawberry. Shouldn't there be a minimum amount of Jesus for me to be called a Christian? So I just wonder if we got a whole lot of fake Pop-Tart Christians. If we examine your priorities, your budget, your schedule, we find Jesus in them. Where are you at on Sunday mornings? Where's your priorities at? What's your schedule look like? Do you set some time aside for Jesus? Or you got too much other pear and apple going on in your life? Because if you're going to be a strawberry, you best have some strawberry in you. If you're going to plan on getting out of here on the first bus load out, because that's where I'm going. Listen, come hell or high water. That woman on the stage has been my soulmate for nearly three decades but if she decided today that she was done with this I can't let her keep me from my, my destination I, I can't let my children I can't let a career I can't let somebody's love or their distaste for me I can't let none of that cause me to miss my destiny I'm on the first bus load out I don't know what you're waiting on I'm not waiting on my kids to get married. I'm not waiting on grandbabies. I'm not waiting on the economy to straighten out. I'm not waiting on somebody else to get in the White House. I'm waiting on a trump, a shout from God, and a voice from heaven. That's what I'm waiting on. Nothing else matters. And for me to give myself ulcers, 
over what they're doing in Washington or what they're doing in Charleston or what they're doing in Columbus is a terrible expenditure of my life. And it tells me I got too much apple and pear in me and not enough strawberry. Because if I'm kingdom-minded, I realize all these things must happen and it ain't going to change. I can kick and scream and throw a temper tantrum and it won't change nothing. Because somebody's in control. It's not me. It's not even them. These things must happen. Are you ready? Under the sound of my voice, are you ready? Do you have enough Christ in you to legally call yourself a Christian? Because this made me think. I don't want to be here for this. I'm going to spend my eternity with who I was destined to spend it with, not the one that I chose because I was rebellious. So I want to ask you all to stand with me this morning, if you would. I know I've went a long time. I apologize, but I had a lot of information to share with you. And I want to know, if he's going on trial, like these Pop-Tarts are going to be put on trial, See if there's enough strawberry in them. If you were going to be put on trial, is there enough Christ in you? Because here's, here's the truth. Whether you know it or not, there will be a trial. It won't be at the courthouse. It'll be in the throne room. You, you will be judged. And everything that was done in the dark will be brought to light. And today is the day of salvation. Pastor, I've been coming to church for 50 years. I didn't ask you how, where you spend, what your geographical location is on Sunday mornings. Good enough ain't good enough. Do you have enough Christ in you to be a Christian? I'm going to ask you that one time and I'm just going to get out of your way. Do you need to come to this altar this morning? Is there any part is there any part of you that wonders if that trumpet sounds today, I wonder if I'll make it. I'm not positive that he would want me. If there's one chance that you would miss it, get to this altar. Don't don't waste time. Listen, it's going to happen quickly. It's going to happen suddenly. And there will not be time to get it right then. This is the moment. I'm not going to linger. I'm not. If you're sitting there wondering, if you're sitting there questioning, if you're sitting there thinking, I hope, I pray, right now, step out and get to this altar because today is the day. Today is the day. Today is the day. Come up here and ask these people, would you lead them in the sinner's prayer? These, these individuals that are coming to this altar, if you don't need to because you're certain, stretch your hand forward and pray over them because they're, they're dedicating something. They're, they're devoting themselves right now to the kingdom. My God in heaven, I rebuke every foul spirit, every stumbling block of offense. 
every high thought that would exalt itself against the Lord God Almighty and I bring them down into captivity so that these that have come here will feel and know the Spirit of Almighty God and their salvation will be sure. It's not too late. If you're here and you're wondering, do I got enough Christ in me? Make that thing right today. You can be as sure of heaven as if you were already standing there. Hallelujah.